Hello, welcome to the Just Bloody Post-It podcast. If you're doing the job of marketing your work online and growing a creative business, this show is for you. I'm your host, Helen Perry, and I teach people marketing, which often means getting you comfortable with being the voice and face of your business and finding a sustainable way to keep talking about what you do because that is a very hard part, the how much you could or should be doing part of it all. I feel like I'm in a daily battle with my far too long to-do lists and unrealistic self-imposed deadlines. Learning about what it is and is not possible for a single solo on their own person to do every day has been I think the biggest part of learning to run my own thing and my understanding of productivity and time management is still a massive work in progress. And so I love this conversation this week. We're talking about habits and how to get good ones. We need to stop comparing ourselves to other people. We need to stop comparing ourselves to past versions of ourselves. And we definitely need to stop comparing ourselves to these perfect future versions of ourselves. And we need to figure out where we are right now and what we're capable of doing. If you can start to just stop beating yourself up for not doing everything you thought you could do or you thought you have done in the past, that's really important. So just get really into the present moment. Writer and habit building expert Beck Evans is talking to us about why it can be so bloody goddamn difficult to get things done. Like why we set goals for our day that are quite literally unrealistic. How we can stop beating ourselves up about not getting the unrealistic list done. Beck's got a new book out called Written, How to Keep Writing and Build a Habit That Lasts. And her theories and advice apply whether you're writing a book, an email or an Instagram caption. The problems are the same and so are the solutions. Bring a pen and paper. This episode is takeaway central. I began by asking Beck how she qualifies in creating good habits. So I help writers find a writing routine in the busyness of their lives. I've spent about, oh my gosh, coming up to 25 years working in publishing and directly with writers from my sort of my first job in a bookshop all the way through managing teams of writers in-house and commissioning to running a writer's retreat centre. And what I do is I run a business with my husband. We're a small business and we um, help writers. So we do everything from helping them build a habit, overcome blocks, find some joy in their writing. And we do that through a whole host of things from coaching to courses. We have a, a weekly newsletter and have published a book earlier this year. Yes, I'll get you to tell us about your book in a bit. And I just, I heard a little few snippets of what you do in um, uh, an Instagram live that, that you were doing with my friend Antonia. Hello, Antonia. Um, and I just thought, wow, gosh, I'd never thought of it that way. The real understanding or taking uh, taking apart the procrastination we can find ourselves in when we're creating content. I mean, you are a writer and a lot of what people are doing when they're creating content is writing. Even if you're making a video, you're still doing some kind of storytelling or writing. Um, And it can be just so very hard to get it done. How did you develop a special interest in habits, I suppose? Does it come from your own bad habits or have you always been a person who can who can get things done and you find that quite easy 
Yeah, no, I thought that was really funny. A lot of um, academic researchers say that research is all research. And it's like because we generally have the problems ourselves. We, we, we get this curiosity uh, relatable. and this interest. <laughs> yeah, it's all me-search. Um, but yeah, I mean, I started because I was working at this writer's retreat centre. And it was this I mean, it was just the perfect place to write. It was, you know, there was no Wi-Fi. It's in the middle of the countryside. It was Ted Hughes's old house set in this beautiful valley. And you had the best writers in every single genre would come and run courses. And it was just so inspiring to people. And it's been doing this. Arvon have been running these courses for, you know, over 50 years now. And it changes people's lives, you know, all the way from children's working with charities and these open courses. But what I was really interested in is I had this experience where I was there for a few years and um, this one writer had come back a second year and I asked her how her novel was going and she said oh I haven't written a word I can only write when I'm here and it got me thinking about how habits are fundamentally forged in environment they're all about the context in which we write and Arvon and there's amazing writing courses and there's great support for writers out there but actually once you finish a course once you change that environment you change that habit it it gets lost so I got really interested in the question how do people keep writing in the reality of their own lives how do they take that inspiration and that magic and recreate that in their busy messy complicated lives um, and that was the beginning of kind of over 10 years of research and you know I just got really stuck into it all Oh, that's so fascinating. And immediately it's got me thinking about me because I work with people on courses and I work hard to create a really nice environment for people and be very supportive. And But when they come to an end, you are like, oh, good luck. And so to find ways to send people out of that that course environment and keep going with whatever it is they've set themselves the target of achieving whatever the course is um, whether it's around eating well or sleeping better or parenting your children like you say once that bubbles burst it can be so difficult to recreate that feeling of what it's like when you were optimal I suppose so gosh where do we start with that then how do we keep hold of the magic so, I mean, there's two, there's two sides to it. The way I like to think about it is things that stop us writing and things that help us write. And you want to, you want to deal with both of those. Um, so, you know, we could talk about some of, you know, the bad habits we have, whether that is around, you know, procrastination and identifying the blocks and barriers that we have. You know, that's, that's a really oh, good I mean, there's, starting there's point. So, let, let, I feel like we can't skip over this. We can't skip over all the things that we get wrong <laughs> about yeah. getting things done. Um, there are so many. In myself, I would say, for example, I've learned to try to try to set myself smaller target lists, to-do lists, goal lists of how much I could possibly achieve in terms of output in a day, a week, a month or a year. Um, why do we think we can achieve so much more in a day than we really can? This is, it's not just me that does this. Yeah. This is common, isn't it? It's absolutely common. So this, I would say, is one of the things that we, all of us, being human, we do have a... Um, I suppose we're optimists 
<laughs> we have a, a bias towards believing that we can get get these things done. And, um, you know, the the way to deal with that is to, to base it on evidence. And it's very hard for us to do that. So if you're writing something, the best way to figure out how long it takes to write is to work out how long it's taken in the past. And then you're able to set more accurate goals. But we do. We start the day or the week with full of promise, full of motivation, and that will fade as time goes on. And things are more complicated that, you know, they, they just are. And with, with goal setting, there's something very fundamental that happens when we set goals is that um, it's like our brain, the mirror neurons, it starts to believe that we've actually achieved those goals before we've even started them. And that can lower our motivation to get it done because it makes us feel quite happy. You know, if we, a lot of us love planning. So writing that to-do list actually gives you a sense of satisfaction uh, that you because <laughs> you start to feel you've got control of something that you ultimately haven't even begun to get control oh, of. It's such an insight. I mean, how many of us just love to write, love that feeling of writing a list? Because, And I think it's that, isn't it? It's we think that we have achieved something just by writing the list when sadly we haven't exactly, have we? Not at all. No. And that's what that's being human. That's what our brains do. And that's kind of OK. But what we need to do is notice that and stop beating ourselves up for something which is completely and utterly inevitable and realise this is a situation. So what can we do about it? And, you know, the, the, the research shows that the best tactic is when you set a goal is to figure out what's going to get in the way of it. You know, obstacle thinking. It's a, a brilliant process from Professor Gabrielle Ottingen. Um, called WHOOP, um, where you identify what your wish is, what the outcome is, what the obstacle is, and then you make a plan for that obstacle. So it's taking one item off that to-do list, thinking how and when you're going to do that, what that, what success looks like, and then figure out what's going to get in the way of it. So it could be as simple as, I've got phone calls all day. I've got to pick the kids up in two hours. You know, these are predictable obstacles that we can start to make plans for. So first of all, if you are writing, say, an Instagram post or an email or a chapter of a book or whatever it is that you're working on, whatever it is that you've got to create, notice first how long it actually takes you to do the job, which I think we wildly underestimate, don't we? I mean, by by multiples of 10, probably, you know, it probably takes me 10 times longer to write an Instagram post than I think it really does. And then... Before I start loading in five or six of those jobs in a day, actually look at what else is going to be going on that day, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the best to-do lists are to-do lists that just have one item on them. You know, you put one item on it and you do it until it's finished. You cross it off and then you bring another one on. And that is the kind of way. So, so we often confuse to-do lists of storage with to-do lists of action. So I do that. I get everything I have to do written down, but that's my to-do list of storage. That's all of the things I have to do at some point, most of them pretty urgent, all of them important, some of them less so. But that's a storage list. That's not a to-do list. It's not an action list. Um, and so learning to see the difference between those two things can be really helpful. And I just do something as simple as I just write them on two different pages of my notebook. You know, so I've got this huge long list, but actually today's list generally has about three things on it. 
That is absolutely fabulous. A master list and then a list which has ideally just one thing on it and that's the one that you tick off. I love yes. it. I love it. That's great. I'm going to start doing that one straight away. Okay, so we've got we've got through the block of time underestimation, I'm going to call it, and then the block of things that will get in our way. Why else do we struggle so much to achieve the things that we set out to do? Well, if we look at um, creativity, so writing is is my kind of area of speciality, but it does apply to other areas of creative practice. I mean, fundamentally, it's because it's hard, you know, that we are we are doing something which is often working at the limits of our ability, which challenges us which scares us. And when we're doing it for our business, it has stakes. And all of this piles on the pressure that makes it even harder to do. And sometimes when we start to think of all of those things, like I have to be posting on Instagram, you know, twice a week or three times or whatever, I think we have to be getting a newsletter out every single week. We're starting to associate really negative feelings with those tasks so it's it's going to of course be really hard to do them and you know I'm really interested in the idea of cognitive reframing which is just starting to feel a bit more joy in what we do and starting to feel good about it because it's like I get to share what I do on Instagram I get to talk about the things I love with my community you know just thinking of it as that way rather than I've got to get this this newsletter out by Wednesday. It's just terrific. I work with a lot of people for whom I know this will be resonating with strongly. And there's, there's a lot of sort of self-punishment and, and negativity around the, the, the tasks that we we set ourselves against the, you know, oh, I said I, I, said I was going to do this six months ago. I still haven't done it. I said I was going to do this every week and I can't. Is it, is it just as simple as flipping your mindset? H- how would you go about that with somebody who's feeling like I'm failing all over the place with all of the writing tasks I had hoped to do? So, oh gosh, there's, there's, there's lots of things that people can do. And the way I work with people is to figure out what it is for them. And actually, if we step back um, a little bit and look at it from that perspective, it's we need to stop comparing ourselves to other people. We need to stop comparing ourselves to past versions of ourselves. And we definitely need to stop comparing ourselves to these perfect future versions of ourselves. And we need to figure out where we are right now and what we're capable of doing. So set a goal by all means, but see that just as a way of, see it as a hypothesis, something to measure how much you can do and start to track what you can do. So if you think you should be doing so many Instagrams, posts a week and uh, you think they're going to take a certain amount of time just observe how long they do take and then that's going to make you more accurate in how you do that and actually the more you do something often you speed up and get a bit better and get a bit more comfortable with it but if you can start to just stop beating yourself up for not doing everything you thought you could do or you thought you have done in the past that's really important so just get really into the present moment is probably the first thing just observe where you are now track how things are going um just notice and how that feels and what that looks like so simply that can be it 
I'm smiling thinking about ideas of my past self because uh, yeah, I definitely have in the past, you know, there, there will have been a time where I was uh, very active it, it, with a certain type of task, whether it was, you know, posting to Instagram very frequently or um, whatever else it might have been. And the results from that were very clear. And then uh, as time went on, that just hasn't been possible. And you, you can't, it, it niggles that you, gosh, if only I could get back to what I used to be doing then and then the results would be the same as they were then but then of course you sit back and realize well I run courses now and I make a podcast and I have also realized that I don't want to spend so much time on social media so why do I keep looking back at that person when this person's pretty busy and actually is doing all right yeah I mean it's so funny this this comparison this perfectionism I mean I mean you know that's before we even start talking about social media and comparing with you know other people out there doing it you know and feeling that we're just not doing enough we're not doing as well I mean it's it's you know it's really toxic you must surely Beck, be somebody with incredibly healthy habits around this across the board how do you then how do, because I mean, I, I know for authors, this is very, you know, this, is, this will ring very true. I mean, people who are publishing books or looking at other authors who've, gosh, why have they got that many followers or why have they got that book deal? How, what, what have you put in place to guard yourself against those sort of sinking feelings? Have you managed it? Around perfectionism and comparison, it particularly, um, I mean, it, it has to go back to thinking about what I want to achieve with with say the latest book that I'm trying to promote. Um, It helps to always have an example. So I wrote a book a few years ago and that gave me, you know, in a sense, some data of something to compare what I could do. That gave me a, you know, a starting point. Um, But when I was writing my first book, I made a point of just trying to say yes to lots of different opportunities to, to feel like I could experiment um make mistakes because we are really scared of making mistakes and seeing them as opportunities to learn from and just go I am never doing that again and you you do you you do learn and you carry that with you and just think yeah I know that really does not work um and things like particularly around social media they, they change a lot you know five years ago I was all over Twitter now then I just realized I just wasn't enjoying it anymore I changed over to Instagram and you start off with no followers and I just thought I'm just going to use this for my own for my own pleasure for fun Um, and that just you know if you start to feel you can experiment try new things fail um, and still still enjoy doing it it makes a huge huge difference but yeah comparison with other other people is is a really tricky one actually Right, hello, this is a little break to ask you to get involved with next week's show. As we draw to the end of series six, I'd love you to tell me what you want to talk about. Send over your content marketing questions and I will answer them the best I can in a special episode. I know how difficult it can be running something on your own with no one to bounce ideas off like, should I be spending more time on Instagram Reels or LinkedIn or should my email newsletter be called this or that or should I niche down and serve this group of people? Why isn't this working or why aren't the sales coming in? Email me helen at helen-perry.co.uk that's helen at helen-perry.co.uk with whatever it is you're wondering 
and I'll answer as many questions as I can next week. It can be anonymous or you can tell us all about who you are and what you do and more people will learn about you. Email me, put something like just bloody post-it question in the subject so I know what it's all about. I cannot wait to read your questions back to Beck. Do you think that the best way to make progress or set goals is to set really small ones? Is that, or is that, is that a lack of ambition? How do you approach sort of getting through things when you are pressed for time? Yeah, so there's lots of theories around um, goal setting and there's, there's lots of different ways that they work. And generally, you like to, it's quite good to set goals that are kind of like on a medium to long term. So it is important to figure out what you want to achieve in the next month or the next three months. People do have things like a yearly plan and a five yearly plan. You know, those are great. But again, those are your, um, those are your intentions. They aren't really goals. You know, your actual practical steps are generally very, very small. Um, so what, what is really helpful around uh, the research into goal setting is you want to set a goal which is a bit of a stretch so you don't know you can achieve it. And that gives you the right level of excitement and motivation to get started with it. You're often working at the edge of your ability. So again, you're not quite sure if you can achieve it in the time frame. And being as specific as possible is really helpful so you know what success looks like. So that's your kind of overarching bigger goal. But to actually take a small step is you need to scale that back um, and you need to bring it back to where you are now um, and what is the first thing you can do. And the best thing to do for that is to, to generally brainstorm lots of little first steps you can take and pick the one which is easiest or most fun or you can do most quickly. Otherwise, you fall into this perfectionism where you think, well, I'll just wait another week or I'll wait until I've got some more time. That's not going to happen. I would actually get people to go scale back that goal until you can do it today. So what is one task you can do today in five minutes before the end of the day is out? And that's a really good way to force you to think about what is possible. And the whole point is motivation comes from momentum, not the other way around. We often think we go really that we have to feel great and inspired and actually the relationship is the reverse it's actually once we've done a small thing we start to feel more motivated and then we're more likely to do another thing and that builds and then suddenly we're stuck in it and we are doing the thing that we thought you know we've been putting off for ages and being perfectionist about I, lo I love that. It's a bit like your list ticking off, though, that brainstorm <laughs> about your small steps. That's not yeah. the thing. The thing is to brainstorm and then do one of them. Do and one then of them. you're off. Then you're off to the races. Then you're starting yeah. to make it happen. Beck, what's your writing environment like? You're literally where you sit to do your work, because I'm thinking back to where we started in your story about a, a writer's retreat. And I, I guess we all know why things like that work, because you have taken away all your usual distractions. You've made an investment in it. You're with everybody else who's doing the same thing. So we can't live like that. Unfortunately, we don't have peace and quiet all around us. What, what do you do? What kind of working environment do you create to get to get stuff done? Yeah, so you need your environment to be able to promote good habits and stop you doing bad habits. So at a simple level, you know, is your desk 
clear enough of distractions to be able to get to the writing. If you open your computer, what's the first thing that pops up? Is it a notification for emails? Is it alerts for other things to do? Is it, you know, is it social media or is it your work in progress? Is it a reminder of first step today, spend 10 minutes free writing ideas for newsletter this week? You know, so thinking around the kind of habits and environment that you have around you. But I remember doing that when I got um, my first book, I'd got, I managed to write a proposal, get an agent, get a publisher, and then realised I didn't have very long to write it. And I just thought, oh my God, if I could just go on a writing retreat, I'd just be able to do this and then just go, well, of course I can't do that. I'm working full time. So I had to figure out in my life where I fit the writing in. And I realised that for me to design an environment, I just rented a co-working space for an hour and a half each day. And that was enough to take me away from the distraction of work and give me enough space and time to be able to make a bit of progress every single day without the distractions. So kind of thinking like, well, what is it about a retreat that works? Is it silence? Is it community? Is it no Wi-Fi? And then you start to think, like, what could that look like now? So using that as a bit of an imaginative leap to create a sense of retreat in your own life. One of mine, and I'm really trying with it because I notice how much difference it makes is putting my phone on this armchair in the corner of my office. I can get my phone over there because otherwise I pick it up without even realizing I've picked it up what are the smallest like chunks of you've mentioned an hour and a half in a day I can see why you would need that if you're writing a book but really what are the small do you have a view on what the smallest productive chunks of time there are I mean is is it do we is another block that we put in our way like I can't I don't have a morning to give to this or I don't have a week to get this done so I can't get it done. What's what are the smallest productive chunks of time we can create for ourselves? Yeah, I mean, just to say it's absolutely classic for us to put off writing because we don't have the time. And we start to think that we do need a full hour or 90 minutes to be able to do it. And that's great to have 60 to 90 minutes, but actually it's not possible. Um, The first thing to do is realise that writing is lots of different tasks and those need different amounts of time so if you start to think more broadly about what writing is so coming up with ideas for content um, that kind of brainstorm can be done quite quickly proofreading checking references you know reading researching these can all be done in different amounts of time and at different times of the day and with different attentions. So some of us are really great at concentrating in the morning, others are better at concentrating in the evening. So understanding when you have good times and bad times can make a bit of a difference. So just observing when that works, but actually having like a list of all the different writing activities you can do, because you can, you can, you know, you can be really strict and block in, right, I've got an hour, it's Monday morning, 11 o'clock, I've got a full hour to work on my newsletter. And then you get to it and suddenly your inbox is full, you're getting calls from clients, you're very, very distracted. So you think, okay, I don't have an hour, what can I do in five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes? I mean, this in the research is often called things like time confetti or toggling um, it's using smaller in smaller moments of time um, and the classic would be something like using a pomodoro technique which is 25 minutes of focus time and a five minute break I think you can be surprised how much you get done in very very short moments of time and I would encourage everybody to go actually 
I've only got five minutes. What can I do in five minutes? What what can help? What can move me towards this goal? How can I get closer to the newsletter? How can I get closer to the content? Um, and you will find a task that can help. And again, that leads to that motivation. If you skip it, you just feel bad down on yourself again I love the the notion of time confetti it's very sweet idea and again it's a slightly more it just makes you feel more positive about things rather than like this constant like I haven't got enough time I'm so stretched for time if only I have more time narrative that we're all living in and actually perhaps the gift of just five minutes on something could be really really make your day and actually make you feel like you can walk home from your office or whatever, go back into the kitchen or what, however, whatever your setup is and feel like, oh my gosh, I did something. I got it done. That, you know, that's such a different feeling to end your day with or to go into like your lunch break with or whatever. Um, so you mentioned that you have a newsletter. I know you've got Instagram back. Like how do you, how much content can you realistically create, have you found, to promote your work? Yeah, so not as much as I would like to and not as much as I think I should be doing. So, you know, by all means, come up with all the grand plans of all the kind of I'll do a YouTube video week and I'll do this and I'll do that. You know, do that. Try it out. Um, see how it goes. But, you know, you really want to focus on a few things. So the goal for this year, before we have had um, a newsletter that went out fortnightly for this year, we wanted to make it um, every week. And that is working for us. Um, my Instagram is not a full business Instagram, so it's still a place where I kind of just have fun, but it's basically about reading, it's about writing, and kind of about dogs, you know. But, you know, it's a space for me, and it's a place a place that I enjoy, <laughs> enjoy being at. <laughs> I think those are the accounts we like. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and, and, why, and why not? Um, but again, it, it's understanding that, you know, so for example, when we were writing the book, so I wrote the book with my husband who I run a business with. That's a whole other podcast about how you can survive as a co-founders and partners through <laughs> through something like that. But when we were doing that, it has a cost to other content you create. So you do have to have priorities at different times. So the priority for this year is about promoting the book and sharing the, the ideas within it. And that's working well at the moment. Yeah, one priority, one thing on your list. Like, it's so very, very common for me to hear someone say, and, you know, this year I'm going to definitely launch a podcast, do my newsletter, upgrade my website, you know, and it, it really is just we overwhelm ourselves or the world overwhelms us with all these possibilities of things that we could do. And I would highly recommend just trying to have one or two um, goals for any one kind of calendar year. There's, a, you know, we know what it's like. There's so many other things in life that come in and disrupt those those plans, or, or you know, that we want to do as well as our work. It's um, the other thing I'll hear someone say is, "Oh, I'll just I'll do I'll do that at the weekend." Do are you quite strict about boundaries around when you guys are actually getting work done? It it varies from time to time, and I think again there feels like there's quite a lot of pressure on us to have work-life balance or to rest and actually there are times when you run a business where you do have to work long hours and work weekends the point is is for that not to be the norm um for me i always like to have a writing project on the go um and at the moment i'm doing one again which is for fun i'm writing a novel 
And that's really helping my nonfiction writing because I'm learning a lot about craft. I'm learning a lot about structure. And it is actually, it, it goes across to different areas of writing. And so I try to, you know, I will write at that. I will be at my desk at the weekend to do that. It is, it, 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 it is hard running your own business and trying to fit in creative time for that business as well you know there's no there's no getting away from the reality of that but I think once you understand that reality and the limitations it it does it can free you up to be able to work out what's possible yeah and it does sometimes mean that you're able to I don't know go on a a yoga retreat for a week without asking anybody's permission. I know Bex just come back from a yoga <laughs> retreat and, you know, it's uh, there are ups and downs. It's been so lovely to talk to you. I think there's about 100 takeaways in this conversation so far, Beck. But I would just love you to finish by saying just a handful of tips for being a happier creator I suppose a happier writer how could we I love this idea that you have of making it enjoyable rather than rather than hard um and how would how would we do that what should we do yeah so to to go back to what I said earlier about being being present where you are right now so in the reality of your super complicated messy unperfect life, imperfect life. So starting there. And um, I would say the one tip to make yourself feel more positive about your writing is whenever you do some writing, is just take a few seconds, a few moments at the end of that writing session to identify something that went well. And that can just be, I concentrated for 15 minutes. I showed up on a really busy day when I didn't think I'd have time. It could be, I had a nice idea. That was a really neat word. This is going to be something that my audience really enjoys. So this is the idea of cognitive reframing, or you look at it from positive psychology. It's the the kind of classic three good things. Um, Find something positive. You will start to associate positive feelings with it. And the research has shown that we change and we form better habits when we feel good about something than when we feel bad about it. And it is as simple as that. So forcing yourself to find something good, however small that is, um, is a really can have a very, very powerful effect for making you keeping going, to keep you going basically long term. I've been trying to, when I can't sleep, do a little bit of gratitude practice. And it's similar to that because it's finding things that you've done well in the day before, but it is being really um, very, very small and tiny about the things that you could call, you know, well done things that like, it could just be, you know, I didn't, I didn't lose my temper when that happened with the kids, or um, I did make a really nice lasagna this evening, or, you know, I did, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, I did put some clothes away. You know, it it has to be, it can be really super tiny. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. Like I definitely wrote a book, a prize winning novel today, does it? Look at the tiny, tiny wins and it can have a transformative effect on your mood, I think. It can. And it's being specific. The examples you gave there are really, really specific and they're unique to that day often. But cumulatively, you know, that's what our life is made up of, those small things. Beck, thank you very much. That's a gift of a conversation. I can't wait for people to hear it. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And how about that for a top value podcast? It was jam-packed with good advice. We've got to start to go easy on ourselves and set more maintainable get-shit-done targets. 
Why not share all of this helpfulness from Beck with your followers on social media? I love that very much because it helps new listeners to find the show. Next week is our Bring a Cup of Tea and Get Your Questions Answered special episode. Email me your question now. None is too small, too big or too silly, I promise. Bye for now. Thank you always for listening. <laughs>